Despite facing enormous strain during the COVID-19 pandemic, the healthcare safety net has played an essential and often innovative role at the intersection of healthcare, public health, and the emergency response in the United States. Moving into the next stage of pandemic response and recovery, the country faces questions about what constitutes adequate support for this safety net, both immediately and over the longer term. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Janine Knudsen, Medical Director in the Office of the Commissioner at the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and a Clinical Assistant Professor at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Dr. Knudsen has co-authored a perspective article about COVID-19 and the safety net. Dr. Knudsen, what organizations and clinicians make up the safety net, and what services do they typically provide? That's a great question to start with because there isn't an excellent consensus, I would say, around safety net definitions. But in writing this article, we took the global view that safety net systems are those healthcare delivery systems such as hospitals, clinics, or integrated systems that are providing care to a patient population that would struggle to get care elsewhere. So that would include uninsured or underinsured populations, populations in neighborhoods that don't have the typical support system of the regular for-profit or not-for-profit healthcare systems. And some examples come to mind. In New York City, Health and Hospitals is the large safety net system that we have both worked at, Dr. Choksi and I. But there are, in addition to that larger system, which has many hospitals and clinics, there are other hospitals and smaller clinics within the city that make up the safety net. Dr. Choksi and I, in approaching this question about the future of the safety net, really wanted to understand what unique challenges the safety net had gone through during the first year and a half of the COVID pandemic, where it stands now, and where it's going. In doing so, we spoke to safety net leaders of hospitals, safety net integrated delivery systems, and safety net advocacy organizations around the country to understand their experiences and their thoughts on how to support the safety net moving forward. And in doing so, we were able to highlight the incredible strengths of the safety net that are maybe under-recognized but have really played a key role in helping the United States get through the COVID pandemic for the past year and a half. And I'll just say that those strengths, I think, are essential for the United States to support moving forward if we want to tackle issues of racial inequity, if we want to really have an effective, continued effective vaccination campaign, and if we want to strengthen the United States, make it more resilient in terms of other pandemics and other emergencies moving forward. You write in your perspective article that the challenges encountered by all health systems during the pandemic were compounded in safety net systems. So what kinds of infrastructure, financial, other challenges have these systems faced, perhaps even before COVID-19? COVID-19 shone the light on so many strains that these systems already faced, and then of course added many new ones. And I'll just say the strains I'm about to mention exist in other health systems as well, not just the safety net, but they were really felt greatest by safety net systems. Those include the strains on workforce in terms of burnout and workforce illness that was experienced during the COVID pandemic and continues to be. Strains related to telehealth, where uh, many safety net systems did not have robust telehealth infrastructure and had to transition very quickly, which was a challenge for both the system as well as the patients. And then finally, staffing just in general, when the pandemic hit and surges in terms of patients and ICUs and hospital wards happened. Those surges were felt most acutely in safety net hospitals, which saw the greatest number of patients compared to other hospitals in the U.S., which, of course, caused incredible strain on all aspects of the system. So are there data showing how safety net systems in New York City and elsewhere have fared during the pandemic, both in terms of patient outcomes and in terms of sustaining the operations of the system? 
There's some data showing some concerning findings that patients in safety net systems, when they were stretched incredibly thin, had worse outcomes. But I will say on the whole, safety net systems did an incredible job of rising up to the challenge, taking advantage of their ability to work in lean conditions, which they have a history of doing, and really finding every last resource to take care of patients that were coming to their doors for help. And in terms of finding those resources, that's where the safety net systems did a great job of partnering with other public institutions, such as public health departments or community groups, in terms of finding those resources that they needed to take care of patients. You say in your article that payment reform aimed at increasing funding for safety net providers is essential for reducing their financial instability, supporting long-term investments in community health, and improving preparedness for future crises. So what kinds of short-term policies do you think are needed to bolster the safety net? So in terms of bolstering the safety net financially, in the short term, there are some very important steps that need to be taken, uh, mainly around Medicaid reimbursement. I'll say that during the pandemic, Medicaid reimbursements were thankfully increased in order to give safety net systems more of a buffer, but those increases may end soon. Same with Medicaid enrollments. Patients were allowed to stay on Medicaid and not have to go through re-enrollment because of the pandemic, and that may expire soon. So those are two very concrete initiatives that may expire and put safety net systems and their patients at risk. There are also policy changes that happened in order to make telehealth more available to safety net systems and Medicaid patients that also must be continued and are at danger of expiring or being rolled back. And then what about long-term responses? How can policymakers and other healthcare institutions help to strengthen the safety net going forward? In the long term, the most important thing I would say, and the argument that we make in our article, is an acceptance that safety net systems should not be allowed to fail because of how important they are in terms of holding up the rest of the healthcare system in the United States. I'll say there's great concern that if safety net hospitals close or clinics close, that that overflows into the rest of the healthcare system and can cause great ramifications for healthcare, for our workforce, et cetera. In terms of supporting the safety net, that definitely means just generally more funding, but also smarter funding. So funding that can encourage more collaboration between healthcare systems and public health systems and community groups, funding that really focuses on the social determinants of health, and then funding that rewards safety net systems for trying to address the racial disparities and racial inequities that were really highlighted during the COVID pandemic and are clearly such an issue for the health of our country. So finally, looking at your last point, what role can safety net systems play in addressing racial and other health inequities that were especially pronounced during the pandemic? And how can their work in this area be integrated into broader equity-focused efforts? So in terms of addressing the racial inequities that were really highlighted and made worse by the pandemic, this is an area where I'm just so proud of what safety net systems do and what they stand for. I'll say that most, if not all, safety net systems and safety net providers are really mission-driven. And that means that addressing inequities is really at the core of what they do and a strength that they've been honing for decades. Most safety net systems are aware of the racial inequities that exist in their neighborhoods and in their patient populations and really focus on expanding access and improving care for populations that otherwise would not be treated as well. They're also known to partner with public health institutions, again, that have that same goal of addressing inequities. And so moving forward, safety net systems are really the right healthcare providers to lead that charge in terms of addressing inequities because they're trusted in specific neighborhoods, they're trusted by specific populations, and they really have that mission at their core. Thank you, Dr. Knudsen.